0: we're done. Okay. Just want to be sure I didn't cut them off. Now, don't they do a good job back here? and I really appreciate it very much. Amen. Well, we're in Galatians, and uh, let's stand together. We're just going to have a prayer. Got a, a brother here from Illinois. He was driving by and saw our sign and saw that it was 3 till 7 and pulled in. So raise your hand there so they can see you. There we go. And uh, so that sign doeth good. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to look at Galatians, and it's, it's good stuff tonight. Who has bewitched you? I'm not asking you. I'm just telling you what's written. Some of you went. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Word of God that feeds us and strengthens us. Give us wisdom. Lord, my prayer is that you will give this church wisdom knowledge and understanding of your scriptures, that we would know your word. And thank you, Lord, for the good word of God that is better than gold, yea, than much fine gold. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell them, thank God no one has bewitched you. And and you can be seated. (laughs) <laughs> Amen. This is really, really good. And of course, now we've been, before I turn to where we are tonight, Galatians 3, we're going to get halfway through the third chapter, um, Paul is writing to the Galatians because he's been getting undermined by false teachers, Judaizers. Now, when you read all the letters in the New Testament, many of them, more than not, are responding to false teachings. You had Gnosticism, and that's another whole subject, and it's kind of difficult to explain, but it was a false cultish teaching of that day that was invading the church, Gnosticism. And then here's Judaism, and Judaism was uh, Old Testament teachers, Jewish teachers, trying to impose on the doctrine of grace and grace only with Old Testament law and mix grace with you got to do. you got to do this, you got to do that in order to be saved. And so uh, in doing so, they attacked Paul. They attacked his character. They came against him. They undermined him to the people that he had birthed in the faith. And Paul is shocked. He can't believe that they have listened to these false teachers so readily, so quickly, and have really turned aside from the doctrine of grace. Now, no doubt, God allowed these things to happen back then and to be written about, because we in our day have false teachings attacking the church. Now, I'm getting a little bolder with it as I get older because I don't have as much to lose. <laughs> but um, I want to tell you, not everything that calls itself Christian is Christian. And not everything that says that it's Bible teaching is Bible teaching. And some of the things I hear passing for Bible teaching, I just can't believe. It's more like a motivational seminar it has nothing to do with the Bible. We need the good word of God. We need the whole counsel of God. And so the things they encountered then, we encounter now. It may be different false teaching, but the animal is the same. It always undermines the work of Christ or the person of Christ. Always. Any false teaching undermines the person of Christ or the work of Christ. The Judaism was undermining the work of Christ, which was we are saved by grace, through faith, only. And that's it. Not by works, lest any man should boast. Amen? But it's a gift of God. Now, who has bewitched you? Let's read verse 1 together. Oh, foolish Galatians. Well, i got two of you going with me. Let's try it again. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. That's strong language. He's been just warming up in the first two chapters. This is really getting down to it. He's calling them bewitched. Now, Paul uh, lets it all hang out at this point. He's venting against the Galatians. You can hear his frustration. You can hear his shock. And he's wanting to understand how they could have so quickly strayed from the truth. Now, he used a couple of words I want to pluck out. Foolish. And bewitched. The word foolish means senseless, not using your noggin. How have you not used your brain in what you've been hearing? Have you ever been amazed at how some people who you know are smart do dumb things? And how many of you know you might be smart, but you could do something dumb too if you don't stay with the word of God? All right, now watch. He, he says senseless. He says, you senseless Galatians where's your brain? Jesus used the same word to describe the two disciples on the road to Emmaus who were so, quote, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Slow of heart, senseless. He wanted to say to them, where's your brain? Where's your memory? I taught you all these things. I I, I told you that I would have to die. Where's your brain? Where's your memory? You know, God gave us a brain. We charismatics, you know, in the charismatic church, you got everybody being led to do this and that and the other. But listen, God gave us a brain too. And we are to use our brain to think. Now the word for bewitched occurs only here in Galatians. And it means to fascinate or to hypnotize. Who has fascinated you? Who has hypnotized you? This is how a serpent catches a bird. And, and I hate telling this, giving this illustration because it creeps me out a little bit. I don't like it. I don't have any problem. I used to have a snake cage. I know that doesn't win points with a lot of you. But I had a snake cage. I don't I have any dread fear of snakes, but, you know, they are very crafty. And the way they catch a bird that has wings and could easily escape from it, once that snake can catch the bird's eye, it can hold its spellbound until it's close enough to strike. And that's hypnotize, fascinate. Who has hypnotized you like a snake hypnotizes a bird? Who has brought you under their spell that you have believed these things, that, that, that you can add to grace, that you got to mix works with grace? Where, where's your, ma- your brain? How, how have you let this happen? Who has, who has had so much charisma that they have drawn you in this way? I'm going to tell you, people are suckers for charisma. Charisma is good only if it's used for good, but people who have a lot of charisma can use it for evil, and a lot of times they do, and they have this ability to fascinate, to hypnotize, to convince, to persuade, and if they have charisma they're using for evil, uh, man, it can do a lot of damage. I mean, we can think of all the cult leaders. Uh, We can think of, uh, you know, just people through Hitler and others, politicians through history that had charisma, and they use it for evil. They hypnotize, they fascinate, they have an ability to do this. And uh, it's the same way with with spiritual things. You can have a very charismatic individual teaching spiritual things, but they're not teaching right. But we think because they're attractive, because they have charisma, because they're magnetic, that they got to be right. We should go with them. But no, you always, church, test the words you hear. Do I need to say that again? You test the words you hear. You hold up what they say to the scriptures. It doesn't matter how likable they are, how attractive they are, how persuasive they are, how magnetic they are. Similarly, the Galatians have been hypnotized by the clever arguments of the Judaizers. Who's been casting a spell on you? Paul asked them. Jesus Christ had been clearly portrayed among you as crucified. You've seen clearly, I have given you a clear picture of what Jesus did for you. How have you forgotten what I showed you? That's what he's asking. And yet they were swallowing Old Testament legalism, just like they had been trapped in before, which due to his longstanding, um, here we go and I did that, due to his longstanding tradition, because it was had been around for centuries and it was what they'd been raised on. Uh, uh, It was bewitching and it was seductive, especially to new Gentile converts who didn't have roots enough in the real, in the New Testament truth to avoid this, to spot it and forsake it. So they were brought in. Now, the gullible Galatians could not see that God himself had rent the temple veil just the way Moses had once smashed the tables of stone. Here was the fact. Judaism was dead, done, finished, terminado. But they couldn't see it. Next, Paul lights into them with piercing logic, penetrating truth. He says in verse 2, here's what I want to learn from you. Now, you can hear him. I can just picture Paul the the debater, Paul the brilliant mind. Here he comes. He says, I want to know this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? They had all been filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you get the Spirit by by doing the works of the law, or did you get the Spirit by faith? Now, having asked them about their seducers, what he's doing right now is asking them about their salvation. Had they been saved by living out the law? or by faith alone? I'll ask you tonight, have you been saved by doing certain things right or by faith? Do you know there are some people, if they were to tell the truth sitting in church, they would tell me, if they were honest with themselves, they would say, well, you know what? Uh, Yeah, I, I believe Jesus, but I also believe that I've got to live a certain life or I'm not going to stay saved. It's very hard for our minds to disconnect from the whole idea that there's there's gotta be something we've got to do to be saved. It just doesn't make sense that I gotta just all I gotta do is believe in in Christ and what he did for me, and that saves me. Surely there's something I've got to do, and that's religion. The fact of the matter is, there ain't anything you've got to do. See, had they experienced salvation by their performance or by grace? This is the great divide between the Old Testament and the New Testament. This right here. The Old Testament says do. The New Testament says done. Okay? That's the great divide. The Old Testament was all about do this, do that, do the other. The New Testament says done. Just believe it. The law said try. Grace says trust. The law says behave. Grace says, believe. Law points to the commandments. Grace points to the Christ. We're in a whole different thing now, folks. We're not in the Old Testament anymore. We're in the New Testament. And that Old Testament Judaism is dead. It's dead. Now, this was the crucial point. When Paul appeared among them on his first missionary journey what had he preached when they first heard the great apostle? What had he told them? Had he told them to do good and to keep the 10 commandments? Had he told them to be circumcised and keep the Sabbath? Is that how they were saved? Is that how they had received the regenerating spirit of God? Everybody answer this. No. He didn't go to them and say, do the commandments, behave, do this, do that, and the other, and you will be saved. That's not what he said. He had preached Jesus Christ and Him crucified. They had believed the gospel. And when they did, they were regenerated. They were indwelt. They were baptized. They were sealed. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's the same with you and me. And what did we do? We heard the gospel and we said, I believe it. And I receive it. And the minute you did, there was an immaculate conception that happened in you. And you were born from above. And that's the beauty of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, after asking about their seducers and their salvation, he asked about their sanctification. He says, are you so foolish? Verse three, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? You started your spiritual life in the spirit of God. Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Isn't that weird? How, how did we get here tonight? Why are you in church on a Wednesday night when you could be a million different places? Because one day you believe the gospel, and the Spirit of God touched you, and he gave you a brand new nature, and along with that came a brand new hunger. I want the Word of God. I need to be fed. I need to grow. Give me the Word of God so that I can grow spiritually. I'm hungry for the things of God. How that happen to you? By works or by faith? By faith. Now, having begun that way, are we going to now be sanctified and grow into spiritual maturity by works? Or having begun by grace, are we going to finish by grace? All right. We could say the Galatians had been transformed like a caterpillar into a beautiful butterfly when they got saved. And having become a butterfly, not by works, but by faith, they now wanted to return to crawling about like a caterpillar by returning to works trying to earn their salvation, led the Galatians nowhere in the beginning. They had new life through faith in Christ. Were they now to go back to the old ineffective system of trying? No. Of course not. It didn't work when they were sinners seeking salvation, and it wouldn't work now that they were saints seeking sanctification. Now, Paul wants to know in verse 4, Have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Uh, You know, when I came to you and I preached and you got saved and filled with the spirit and you experienced a mighty experience with Christ and and you had this launch in grace and faith and in the gospel and your life was changed, has, has it been in vain? You can almost hear Paul saying, man, I hope not. I hope it wasn't in vain and I hope that I didn't come to you in vain. I hope all my labor wasn't in vain. And not only that, but we know from the book of Acts that Paul suffered severely for the cause of Christ in Galatia on his first missionary journey, so much so that he was stoned and left for dead. That's what happened to Paul in Galatia. He almost lost his life. They threw rocks at him until he fell to the ground and they thought he was dead. He says, I hope I didn't take those rocks in vain. I hope I haven't lost you for good. I hope you can return to your senses and get back to save by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Galatians had apparently been strongly persecuted after he left town. Was it all in vain? Had they gone through all this for nothing? Paul hoped not. And finally, after asking about their seducers, their salvation, and their sanctification. He asked them about their signs, the miracles they had seen. In verse 5, he says, therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles, miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? You see how he keeps juxtaposing works with faith. Faith, with works. And he's showing us, did, did the one that did miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, we know that Paul had worked signs and wonders among them. And he wanted to know if when he performed such signs, he wanted to know, did I say something like this to you, Galatians? If you keep the commandments and worship, lest any man should boast. Okay. So he says, did did the one that did miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now we know that Paul had worked signs and wonders among them. And he wanted to know if when he performed such signs, he wanted to know, did I say something like this to you, Galatians? If you keep the commandments and worship God and avoid idolatry and don't profane God's holy name and keep the Sabbath and honor your parents, then you'll be healed. (laughs) Doesn't that sound flat? If you do, if you perform, if you behave, then you'll be healed. Is that how the healings and the miracles happened? Come on, everybody. No. His point is clear. Paul had healed them in the name of Jesus. Not in the name of the law. Can you imagine, Paul, in the name of the law, get up. Can you imagine that? Peter at the gate with that man that had been crippled all his life. Can you imagine him saying, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of the law, get up and walk. How many of you know he would have stayed flat on his back? But it was in the name of Jesus. He got up and walked. And what was that? By faith and not by works. It was the same for their receiving of the Holy Spirit of God, which God had ministered to them. Had God done so by the works of the law or by faith in Christ? He had come upon them by faith, not by works of the law. Do you remember when the Spirit of God came upon you? How many of you remember that? You got saved and the Spirit of God came upon you. Do you remember how, how you had to repent? and It was by repentance you came into the presence of God. And when you repented of your sin and you embraced the gospel and believed Jesus Christ... And that is when he poured his spirit upon your life, and he poured into your heart that love by the Holy Ghost. Do you remember that? And it didn't, works had nothing to do with it, but it was by faith, through grace, and that not of yourselves. I'm going to repeat this a lot tonight. Repetition will bring memory, but it's by grace through faith, not of yourselves. Lest anybody should boast and say it was because of my works that I got the Holy Ghost. It was not your works that you got the Holy Ghost. It was his work that you got the Holy Ghost. It was because of what he already did that you got the Holy Ghost. He had come upon them by faith, not by the works of the law. The ultimate example was Abraham, who had been declared righteous by faith, not by works. In verse 6, he brings up Abraham, and it's powerful stuff. He says, just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for what, everyone? Abraham just believed God. And God declared him righteous when Abraham just believed God. And Abraham became the template for every person of faith forever after Old and New Testament. He believed God. That's all Abraham had to do to be saved. Abraham's salvation was based purely and simply upon the principle of grace, which was made effective in his life when he believed God. Abraham, by faith, remember back. It's very similar to you and me. He had turned his back on his old way of life, which was represented by Ur of the Chaldees, which is where he lived. And in Ur of the Chaldees, they were, they were worshipers of the sun and the moon. They were idolaters. They were pagan idolaters. He was raised in idolatry. And God said to him, Abraham, I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldees, get out, and I'm going to take you to a place you don't know yet, but I want you to start walking, son. And so he left behind him Ur of the Chaldees, as Israel left behind them, Egypt, and as you and I leave behind us, the world. You can know that somebody has really been saved when they leave something. They leave the world. They leave what represents Satan and satanic infrastructure and satanic ways of doing things, and they follow God. He went, it says he, he left Ur of the Chaldees to quote, by faith sojourn in the land of promise, as in a strange country. But he went. And as soon as he started walking and leaving Ur, he became a candidate for salvation. Paul or God always calls us out. So that he can lead us in. He never calls us out to leave us sitting there looking stupid. He calls us out to lead us in. Okay? Now Paul's point again is clear. The Judaizers were proud of being Abraham's seed. They were always boasting. These false teachers were always saying, we're the son of Abraham. Sons of Abraham. We are the children of Abraham. The offspring of Abraham. Very well then, says Paul. Since that's what you believe about yourself and that's your boast, How was Abraham saved? By faith. No more and no less. And when he said that to them, it pulled the rug out from under the feet of the Judaizers who were insisting on works plus faith. If you don't do these works, you will not be saved. All other people are saved exactly the same way, says Paul, by faith alone. Isn't that beautiful? All the cults will tell you, you've got to do this, you got to do that. You better go here, go there. If you don't perform and behave and do, 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 then you will not be saved. But Christianity, real Christianity, is not a cult and it's not a religion. It's a relationship based on faith through grace. Now, in verses 7 through 9, he says, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. Who preached the gospel to Abraham, everybody, according to this verse? God. What was the gospel? Believe me, Abraham, if you believe what I'm telling you, you'll be saved. God preached the gospel to Abraham. He said, believe me. And if you respond in faith, you're going to be saved. I'm going to declare you righteous. So he preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, in you all the nations are going to be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. I want you to read that again with me, would you? Those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Do you know that you're blessed with Abraham tonight? You are blessed with Abraham. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him I'm blessed with Abraham. I'm blessed with Abraham. That's what we're told. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He was declared righteous and saved. You and I believe the gospel and we are declared righteous and we are saved. And we are blessed with blessed Abraham. Now having ended verse 9 by talking about a blessing... Paul next draws attention to three things. First, he mentions a curse. In verse 10, look what he says. As many as are under the works of the law. Now, here's where he's going with this. Before I read it, watch carefully. He's going to tell them, you want to follow the law? Is that the way you want to go? Do you Galatians really want to get away from grace by faith? And you really want to follow the law? Is that how you want to get righteous? Then let me tell you what you're in for. He says, As many as are of the works of the law are under what, everyone? The curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in how many things? All All things. Wow. (laughs) We can't even do the Ten Commandments. Forget the whole Pentateuch, all five books, everything that is in there for us to follow. Forget that. We can't even do the Ten Commandments. But he says, if you don't do how many of them, you are cursed. I don't know about you, but there's one thing I don't want is to be cursed by God. Now he says, cursed is everybody who does not continue in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. You see where Paul's going. He's saying, you want to leave grace and you want to go back to works? Well, good luck, rots or ruck, because if you don't do them all perfectly, you are cursed. So if you want to leave blessing and go to cursing, be my guest, says Paul. Since the Galatians have suddenly become so enamored with the law, Have their wonderful new teachers also informed them of the dire consequences of not keeping it perfectly? What did Paul later say the the law was there for? It was a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. A schoolmaster that whips us into Christ. God didn't give the commandments for people to follow them perfectly. He knew we couldn't. He gave the law to show us that there's no way we can be righteous by our own works. He gave us the law so that we could say, I am undone. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? I can't do this. I can't live these things. What am I going to do? And God says, that's what I was waiting for you to ask. Because I've got a Messiah on the way. And when he comes and you put your faith in him, it's going to all be done for you. Because right now you're under the law of do. Then you're going to be under the grace of done. So hang on, because the law is a schoolmaster. He says, so enamored with the law, did they they tell them about the consequences of not following it? Have they told them about the curse of the law spelled out in morbid detail? In Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26, Deuteronomy 27 records a dozen curses and chapter 28, a half dozen more followed by a series of horrifying illustrations, all in store for those who don't perfectly keep the law. Oh, gosh. Without reading the whole thing, you ought to go home and read it, and thank God you're under grace. Without reading the whole thing, suffice it to say that here's a few. Disease, drought, deportation, losing your home, and dread would be visited on those that didn't keep the law. Now, that's four Ds I don't want. Disease, drought, deportation, and dread. That's cursing. I like blessing. I like peace. I like joy. For me, it's all summed up in the verse I'm about to read to you, which I think is one of the most chilling verses in the Bible. God said, if if, if you don't keep the law perfectly and and you depart from me, here's what's going to happen. In the morning, you will say, would God it were evening. And in the evening, you will say, Would to God it were morning. Do you hear what that's saying? Life is so bad when you're under a curse that when you wake up in the morning, you don't want to face the day. But then when night comes and you're going to be ready to go to bed and go to sleep, you know you're not going to be able to sleep, and you know you're sleeping and going to be good, so you dread the night, and you wish it were morning. You're not enjoying any one of the 24 hours in a day when you're under a curse. And you look at the nations of the world that have rejected Christ and gone after false religions and false Christs and prophets, and I want to promise you, and i got to think of the Jews here too. Didn't they and haven't they so many times through the centuries, 21 centuries since Christ, when Jesus came up to Jerusalem, and it says he wept, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her wings, but you, or her, her chicks, but you would not. And now not one stone is going to be left on another, and you're going to be torn down by enemies because you knew not the day of your visitation. And because they had rejected Christ and rejected grace and rejected faith, 70 years after Jesus said that, Titus brought the Roman legions in. And what happened to Jerusalem in that carnage is the worst per square foot of any bloodshed ever been shed on the earth before or since. Over a million Jews were slaughtered. It was awful. They were under a curse. And then after Jerusalem was destroyed... They were dispersed through the nations of the world. Everywhere they went, they were persecuted. Everywhere they went, they were rejected. And it culminated in nightmares like Hitler's Nazi Germany. And don't you know, in that Holocaust, they woke up in the morning and said, would to God it were evening? And in the evening, would God it were morning? Can I tell you solemnly tonight there are serious consequences for rejecting grace. I'm serious, church. Serious consequences. When you turn God away and God knocks by grace, he, behold, I stand at the door and knock, Revelations 3.20, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And if any man hears my voice and opens the door, you must open the door. You've got the key and you must open the door. I will come into him. And we'll sup with him and he with me. But if you keep the key in your hand and you keep it locked and you turn grace away, there's nothing but catastrophe down the road. I promise you. Our nation has rejected Christ, has rejected God. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I don't claim to be a prophet, but I am a Bible student. I study that Bible all the time. And I want to tell you, I can't see any way America avoids judgment. No way. No way. Now, you say, what does that mean for you and me? Well, he's always protected his own during judgment. But for me, I believe America is in for some harsh, harsh judgments. Because daily, we aren't just walking away from God, but we are flaunting our sin in his face, and we're turning grace away. Now, as Jesus told Jerusalem, and as it was so true, 70 years later, the prophet Jesus had been exactly right. Armies surrounded Jerusalem. They starved them out. There was cannibalism within, within the inside of Jerusalem. The Christians who had heard his words, where he said, when you see armies surround Jerusalem, don't even go down and get your stuff out of the house, but flee and go to the mountains. There was a pause, a supernatural pause when Titus's legions were surrounding Jerusalem, there was a pause where Titus had to leave and go and take care of something and then come back and finish the siege. And when he left, it was an open window for those who knew the words of Jesus to get out. And so those that knew the words of Jesus, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, flee to the mountains. Don't even go back in to get your stuff. You flee and escape that place. All the Christians fled. And do you know that every history account I've read, I mean secular historians, Josephus and others, not one Christian died in that siege because they were all gone because they listened to the words of their prophet, Jesus. But oh, what a price you pay when you reject grace. In the morning, you'll say, I wish it were evening. Evening, you'll say, would God it were morning. That's a picture of people who have rejected grace. How about that, Paul wants to know. Do you really want to place yourself back under the law? (laughs) I can hear them saying, no, no, no. If so then make sure you keep it all, Paul says, every jot and tittle of it, every verse and line, every duty and demand, you be sure you keep all of it or you're going to be cursed. If you fail, quote, cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Thank God Jesus lived a sinless life for you and me. He never sinned, Uh, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He lived the life that we couldn't live. And when we put our faith in him, his perfect life is imputed to us. Isn't that beautiful? So God looks at every one of us and says, righteous, righteous, righteous. Well, so obeying the law wasn't a very cheerful prospect. What a horrible thing to put in the place of God's free salvation his matchless grace, and his place of rich blessing. Going back to the law, but even should any of them try it, Paul reminds them, verse 11, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Can we say that together? The just shall live by faith. The latter part of that verse is taken from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And it's quoted three times in the New Testament. Habakkuk lived in a day when judgment for Israel was inevitable and imminent. I think we're in that place right now. Now, God had revealed to the prophet that he would use the Babylonians to be the instrument in his hand for thrashing the Jewish people. Now, Habakkuk had a problem with that. I can understand the problem. He said, wait a minute, the Babylonians are ruthless, bloodthirsty, wretched, barbaric murderers. How can you use a group of people worse than us to chasten us? That's not right. There's something wrong with that picture. Habakkuk said he had a real problem with this. How could God use a people even more wicked than his own people to serve as the chastening rod? And God's answer was short and simple. Say it with me. Trust me. In the same way as it relates to our salvation, we are to trust him. In Habakkuk's prophecy, the accent, the just shall live by faith, the accent is placed on the words shall live. It does not read the just by his faith, but it reads exactly like this from the Hebrew. A just one by his faith shall live. Now that's talking about forward. That's talking about the future. The word live points to uh, forward to the future life. The contrast is drawn, not between faith and unbelief, but between the doom of the unbeliever and the prospect of the believer. The unbeliever shall die by his unbelief, but the, but the righteous person by their faith shall live forever. Our faith is the means by which we are saved for how long? Do you know your eternal life has already begun? You're not going to die and go into eternal life. Your eternal life has already begun. The minute you got saved, you started your eternal life. Yeah, you did. It's just going to go on after you die, but it it began when you got saved. Now, uh, so we're saved forever, not by works, but by faith. Now, next, Paul again harps on the nature of the law, which is to do, do, do. Verse 12, yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. The law says, do. Grace says, done. On the cross, Jesus cried, it is finished. All of the doing had been done. By faith, we cross over from death to life, from trying to trusting. And from a system that says do to a salvation that says done. Can we just lift our hands and thank the Lord for that right now? Lord, we just praise you for so great a salvation. Lord, I'm just moved by your word at this moment. We just praise you. That, Lord, you haven't turned us over to our own works and devices. But Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Ah, Lord, he paid a debt he didn't owe. And I owed a debt I could never have paid. I needed somebody to wash my sin away. And, Lord, we thank you for grace, amazing grace, stunning grace, radical grace, crazy grace, reaching grace. Thank you, Lord. Can you just say, Lord, thank you for grace? Now, the good news, everybody, is the curse of the law was removed by Christ Christ. Look at verse 13 and 14. And here Paul is really preaching. He says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everybody who hangs on a tree. Now I want you to stop a minute and I want to tell you that that last quote, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, is out of the Old Testament. And I believe that that verse is one of the reasons why Saul before he was paul could not accept christ i'm going to show you why he says he says cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree that the blessing of abraham might come upon the gentiles in christ jesus that we might receive the promise of the spirit how through faith now paul quotes from deuteronomy 21 verse 23 cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree Now, this one passage, I believe, had been the most difficult thing for Saul, the arch persecutor of the church. The Old Testament law read, quote, if a man have committed a sin worthy of death and he be put to death and thou shalt hang him on a tree, his body shall remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him That day or the next day. For, said Moses in Deuteronomy, he that is hanged is accursed of God. When Paul was Saul, he was very familiar with that passage because he was a master of the Old Testament, taught under Gamaliel. And it was this that he stumbled over. Wait a minute. How could God's anointed Messiah be hanged on an accursed tree? This message of Jesus, y- y'all are going around preaching, it can't be because he died on a cross and you obviously don't know your Old Testament, said Saul, because my Old Testament says that any- anybody hanged on a tree is cursed of God. So you're telling me the Messiah is cursed of God? I don't think so. You are deceived. And I believe he stumbled over this passage. Might be one of the reasons he was so furious at them. All the Christians, because he he couldn't understand this. But then he got light. Because for Saul, this made the claims of Christ false and blasphemous. He had died under the direct curse of God. He couldn't have been the Messiah. For Saul, this was the most impossible thing about Christianity. But then he met the risen Lord and saw the nail prints in his hands and feet. From then on, the fact that Christ had indeed died under God's curse became the most impressive thing about Christianity. Why? Because it had been necessary for Christ to die under the curse. Only thus could the curse itself be removed. He took the curse for us. If he hadn't taken the curse for us, we couldn't have the curse taken off of us but Paul woke up one day and said, wow, I get it now. Of course the Messiah died on a tree and was cursed of God because we were cursed of God and he took our curse for us. We were sinners and he took the judgment for us. We were going to die and he died for us. Come on, everybody. Man, so all that destitute and Disease and deportation and all those curses Jesus took on Himself. It's so powerful. When Christ died on the cross, all the terrible curses reserved for the breakers of the law were aimed directly at Him like arrows from a quiver. Zhoop, zhoop, zhoop. Man, powerful stuff. So, vroom, disease, he took it. Zoom, destitution, he took it. He became a curse for us. Paul said, I get it now. Hallelujah. He died on a tree, the very symbol of the curse of the law and he died wearing a crown of thorns, the very symbol of the curse from the fall. And praise God, the blessing received through Christ Jesus is, read it with me, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. You're a Gentile. Give him praise. Amen. Glory to God. Well, by now, the Galatians are totally under conviction. Can't you just imagine it? I mean, they are just, they are being hit from every side with Paul's logic and truth. He says that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, what was the blessing of Abraham? And we close with this. It was salvation by faith. When he says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, what was the blessing of Abraham? It wasn't his money. Hello, church. It wasn't his riches. (laughs) That's not what it was. Well, he was rich. He was the richest man on earth. That's not the blessing of Abraham. He could have been rich and still gone to hell. The blessing of Abraham was salvation. He was declared righteous by faith, and he was saved. And that blessing of Abraham, salvation by faith, has come upon the Gentiles glory to God. Next time we're going to look at the Abrahamic covenant, and this is so powerful. Don't miss next week, because this is going to open your eyes. Can we stand together? How many of you are thankful for salvation by faith through grace? Amen? Salvation by faith through grace. Heavenly Father, we stand on holy ground. What can we say to so great a salvation? That Jesus took our judgment, took our curse, lived a life that we could not live, died in our stead, took our judgment, was separated from you, your presence. But he also, Lord, rose from the dead, the first fruits of those who would follow after. So, Lord, we stand on the holy ground of grace and faith and salvation only by faith and grace. Not of our own works, but it was a gift of God. Can we lift our hands and say, Lord, thank you for your gift. Thank you for that gift. I praise you for that gift. You ought to wake up in the morning and just say, Lord, I don't know. I'm going to start out praising you just for the gift of grace. Salvation by grace through faith. Salvation only by grace through faith. Thank you, Lord.